Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus is our good shepherd. We are his sheep, and shepherds care for sheep. They keep their sheep alive. They keep the flock intact by making sure they're fed, they're watered, and they're protected from the elements and from predators. The only safety that a sheep has is in the flock of a good and caring shepherd. If they are near their shepherd, they are safe. If they wander from their shepherd, they are in danger. They will find themselves without food, without water, exposed in an easy target for hungry predators. And this is the basic reality for sheep. The shepherd is good. The sheep need him. Without him, the flock will be scattered and the sheep would be picked off one by one. Of course, you know, I'm not talking about livestock. I'm talking about the church. You are the flock of Christ who is our good shepherd. And when we are gathered around Jesus, we are fed, we are watered, we are protected from the evil one, and we can walk through this valley of shadow of death fearing no evil. When we wander from our good shepherd, our souls are in danger. We are cut off from the voice of our good shepherd and we are lost. We are made easy prey for the ravenous wolves of the devil as Satan loves to prey upon the weak Christians who distance themselves from the flock of God. And it happens all the time. It can be subtle or ugly as Satan tries to make people believe that the church is not a safe place for them or a good place for them. He uses false doctrine and false shepherds, temptations to sin, and human weakness to make the church like an ugly or unappealing place or, many times, just a useless place. For example, if you think about how many things have happened in the most recent years of God's church in our history, you can see maybe an example of an imaginary congregation. This imaginary congregation calls a pastor. He's nice. He's very charming, good-looking. He endears himself to the right people in the congregation, and they strike up a good relationship, pastor and people. Yet this pastor, in spite of his glib nature, he has an agenda, and after a while it becomes clear. As little things in the service begin to change, the hymns, they become a little bit more shallow. The readings, they're shorter. And there's a tonal shift in the sermons. The message is muddled with personal anecdote and one-line jokes. And the scripture passages begin to be a springboard for other topics that the pastor would rather talk about that day. And the Bible doesn't seem as clear and important as it did as the pastor rather talk about other things. It doesn't exhort to repentance and faith. It doesn't rebuke to reprove sins in the congregation. And while the preaching is still enjoyable and there seems to be something missing. The pastor mentions grace here and there, but it becomes less defined, less clear, more ambiguous as the cross of Jesus becomes more of a concept than an imminent promise and a reality for God's holy church. And this shallow worship and preaching are a terrible problem in and of themselves that infects much of the Christian church. This is just a setup for the pastor's greater agenda. As he continues to endear himself to all the right people and develop a cult of personality around himself, he begins to show his hand a little bit. 
It may take a few years to do, but it happens eventually as a shift begins, as the pastor views himself as a reformer and a savior for that poor congregation. And he begins to chastise the congregation for not being missional enough. And he tells them that they're too close-minded, that they need to change their congregation or it's going to die. He creates a state of panic. The people love their congregation. They don't want it to die. So they begin to enact all the changes the pastor wants. Without a second thought, they introduce a new service that will play into the needs of the younger crowd. And with cooler music and an emotional tone, the, the service begins and they spend big bucks renovating their sanctuary. They remove altars and crosses and pulpits and they put up a big stage. They open up the Lord's Supper to everyone so that no one feels left out. And they want people to be more involved with the service so they have everyone take turns doing the readings, including the women and the youth. And they want it to be more relevant. And so they have people come in from outside of the congregation and members of the congregation come in uh, once again, even the women and the children to give testimonies so that they can talk about themselves for a while. And the pastor's sermons still continue to evolve and change as the text of the Bible only now loosely connects to some overall message that the pastor wants to give that day. And the pastor frees himself to say what really he ever wants, whatever he wants, and so he begins to make changes that he desires. He begins to say whatever he feels like saying, and not just a facelift to the worship service in the sanctuary, but to the very character and nature of the congregation. As the focus shifts from the objective works of Jesus, the word and the sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, the love of Christ, and he begins to pull the rug out from the congregation. As they followed him into a desert with no water and no pasture, the pastor is now seeing himself as free from all that old baggage of word and sacrament and history. Now he begins to preach about social change and he gives the gospel of popular opinion. It could fall in either direction. It could be conservative, it could be liberal. That's not what really matters, just so long as it's appealing. It makes people feel good. The fact remains the same, he's not preaching the Bible. And that's when the devil chooses to strike. As the flock has been starved for the means of grace for some time now, they have not been fed with the word of God, they have not been fed with the forgiveness of sins, they have not been fed with God's sacraments, they have not been sustained by the forgiveness, and they're hungry for meaning. They want some form of comfort as they struggle and suffer in this life, and they look at their church, and they look at the world, and they think, well, I'm not finding it here. Maybe I'll find it somewhere out there. And slowly but surely, that little flock that gathered around the food of immortality begins to look for greener pastures someplace else. It could be anything, really, sports, media, movies, camping trips, politics, lake life, cabin life public service, social media, or the pursuit of money, the pursuit of pleasure. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that it's not Jesus. And that's what the devil wants. He wants the church to be starved of Christ so that Christians are forced to look for meaning and comfort in the things that provide none of it. You see what happened here? A wolf in sheep's clothing led the sheep away from their true and good shepherd. At what point did this congregation stray away from their shepherd when it was 
when the, the music and the hymns got a little bit more shallow? Or was it when the altar was taken out of the sanctuary? Was it when the word became less and less clear? Or was all of it? It was when the congregation was convinced that the gospel of Jesus was not enough. That the word of God and the holy sacraments, that the gifts of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, they weren't enough to sustain them and to bless them. It was as if they believed that they had to somehow make God's word more appealing by teaching less of it. And this has really happened everywhere. If we observe the state of the church throughout the world, what has happened to the people around us? Have they all come flocking into the church of God? No. No, more and more people are secure in their sins completely comfortable living a life that is totally distant from Christ. And it's tragic, and it's terribly sad to see how many people have been led astray and have no recognizable faith in Jesus. And it's because they have been starved of God's word that gives life and faith to those who hear it. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And those who do not hear his voice are not sheep of his flock. They will be devoured. They will be consumed by the cares and the pleasures of this world. We don't want that. It does not always happen this way. It could be a number of things that drive a person away from the flock. Personal tragedy, hurt feelings, wounded pride, persistent sin, scandalous behavior from pastors and other church members personal issues with a pastor, or just general weakness and temptation. These all serve the goal of the devil as he strives to isolate Christians from their good shepherd and make easy prey of them. The devil has free reign when the gospel's not applied in these situations. And sometimes, sadly, many people stray from the church. Now, Jesus is still the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And while we are completely unworthy of the love that he gives, he still gives it. His sheep are so valuable to him that he would die for them. And that's what he does. He lays down his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what the sheep need. They need the death and resurrection of their good shepherd. They need their sins to be forgiven. The one Lord and God of all creation says that he will die for unworthy livestock. He says he cares for unworthy sinners. He provides their salvation as he dies for such unworthy servants as you and me. And not only does he die, he takes his life back up again. And he's risen so that we might know that he is the Christ. And that in him, our good shepherd, our sins are forgiven us. We can only truly know and understand our good shepherd through these actions of death and resurrection. We cannot truly understand Jesus in any other way. This is all done out of the purest and truest love. The love of Christ is this, that Christ dies for sinners. Jesus loves you, his dear sheep. He loves us as he gives himself for us so that we can be part of his flock. If someone claims to know Jesus apart from his death, apart from the cross, apart from his resurrection, then that person doesn't really know Jesus. So many people talk about Jesus today and they'll say, well, if Jesus were alive today, and you know what every Christian should say? He is, right? 
Uh, people attack the church and say, if Jesus were alive today, you Christians wouldn't do this. Or if Jesus were alive today, he would have something to say about you. Every time you hear that, say, Jesus is risen. He is alive today. And apart from his death and resurrection, Jesus is just another lawgiver. He's just some moral teacher who wags his finger and says, you've done wrong. Or even worse, he's some cruel or brittle tyrant without any love. Apart from his death and resurrection, you're not saved. But Jesus is the good shepherd because he dies. He lays down his life for the sheep. And our shepherd provides us with the fruits of his forgiveness as we live under the gifts and promises of Christ. There are good and green pastures that God feeds us with. And what are these fruits? Well, they're his word. They're his sacraments. So there are these means of grace in which Christ gives us himself. These are the things that apply the death and resurrection of Jesus to you. They plant the death and resurrection of Jesus in your heart and in your life. We saw that this morning. Little Clark over there was baptized. As he was kicking and screaming, coming to the font, he, he was made into a perfect saint of God coming up from the water. And not just figuratively, as he stopped crying when the water hit them, which is a miracle, I've never seen that happen before, but quite literally according to the promises of God. The old Adam, the old sinner, is put to death, and the new life is implanted in him. The death of Jesus is applied to him. He becomes Jesus' little lamb, a member of his flock. It says in Romans 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism and into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you see the big exchange here? Jesus took Clark's little sinful flesh and carries it to the cross. And Jesus gives Clark all of his holiness and all of his righteousness through his resurrection to newness of life. Christ has, or Clark has been washed by Christ and sanctified by Jesus. He has been made holy. And that's exactly what little Clark needs. Even as infants, we need Jesus to take our sin away because we are born with a sinful nature. And that sinful nature needs to daily drown and die in the waters of baptism so that we live in newness of life. Being washed in the water of the word, we are made members of the flock of Christ. And that means that we are placed fully into the hands of Christ that care for us. Jesus sends his word out into the shadow of death to be with us. He cares for us through the preaching of his word. Jesus sends his word out into the world to call us to be members of his flock. And one of the ways he does this is by calling men into the ministry. He sends out pastors. And what a, what a joy it is this week. Our congregation, one of the sons of our congregation, received his first call into the holy ministry. We'll be praying for Aaron Schultz today and his family as he prepares to be ordained and enter into the ministry. And that's a wonderful gift and a wonderful thing. Pastors are under-shepherds of Christ. And that means they're to care for the flock instead and by the command of our Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd. They are to speak the words of Jesus and to only speak those words that God has given us. They are to feed the flock with what Jesus has provided for the sheep to eat. Not like the pastor from our imaginary congregation that we thought about a minute ago, but we speak the word of God. 
That imaginary pastor wanted nothing more than to work his own agenda, to gain his own greatness from the sheep, but not out of love for the sheep. He did not work. Christ sends pastors to love his sheep, and that means they are to preach his word. A pastor's job is to warn and exhort the flock to the dangers that are set before him, and they are to comfort the flock with the message that Jesus has died for sinners. His purpose is to show them that their sins uh, are set before them, and he's to call them to repentance, while at the same time proclaiming to them the forgiveness of sins won for them by Christ. They are to be examples of this preaching and how they conduct their lives. Even as all pastors are sinful men, they are to preach their word, and when they preach that word of God, the voice is not their own. Rather, it's the good shepherd calling the flock, as Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. The pastor is also to bless the congregation with the food of immortality. As Jesus provides us with heavenly food as he gives us the Lord's Supper, he feeds the flock with the fruits of his cross by giving us his body and blood in and with the bread and wine. Pastors are to minister this gift to the flock. St. Paul says this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. A steward is someone who cares for something that doesn't belong to him. The Lord's Supper is the Lord's. It belongs to Jesus. Those who are members of the flock are not the pastors. They belong to Jesus. And so the pastor cares for his church so that we might be strengthened in faith and delight in the forgiveness of sins that Jesus brings. This is a reliable and a continual gift that we can receive over and over again in faith. Sheep need to be fed. You, dear Christians, need to be fed, and Jesus feeds us. He feeds us with the very thing that makes him the good shepherd, his death for sinners. For as long as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want you to notice something here. I want you to think about these things. Baptism, the Word, the Lord's Supper, our life in the Church of God. What are the things that Jesus wants you to have? Does he promise you health and wealth? Does he promise you good feelings? Does he promise you continual entertainment and pleasure? Does he promise you worldly acceptance? Does he promise you that you'll feel good about yourself? No. He promises you the forgiveness of sins. He promises you a right relationship between him and his Father. He promises you the comfort of the gospel. And that's what Jesus feeds you with. He feeds you with those things that are to give us strength and faith to sustain us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's nothing other than the pure and true forgiveness that flows from the cross of Jesus. It's nothing other than the pure and true forgiveness that flows from Christ as the voice of Jesus calls out to a terrified and vulnerable flock saying, I am with you. This sickness, this sin, this death, this decay, this demonic affliction, this terror, this scandal, this uncertainty and guilt, I've died for them. Your discomfort, your pain, I have died for it. 
If you have sin, I have the forgiveness of sins. If you have crosses in your life, I have borne their curse in my own cross. If you have death, I have taken my life up again so that I can feed you the food of immortality. And I will speak these words of comfort to you. I will sustain you and protect you from the evil one. I will bring you to the green pasture of my father's house. I have already set a place for you there at my father's table. There's a room for you there, prepared as your own. The feast is ready. Follow me. Follow your good shepherd. Hear his voice and the preaching of his word. Rest in the still waters of your baptism that have washed away your sins. Eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus as sustains you from his holy cross. Do not be deceived by false teachers who provide false hope. There is one flock, one Lord, one shepherd. As the Bible says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ is the true and good shepherd who makes us members of his flock. He calls us, he purchases us, and he redeems us through the shedding of his blood. He sustains and cares for us continually with his holy word and his sacraments. He feeds his sheep. He dies for his sheep so that we do not fall prey to the wolves who would devour our souls. He gives us life. The shepherd becomes the lamb that is devoured by sin and death so that you might have forgiveness and life. That is the call of our good shepherd. Psalm 119 says, this is my comfort and my affliction, that your promises give me life. True life resides nowhere else. You are either part of the flock and you are fed with the word of God or you are not. To be part of the one flock is to hear the voice of the good shepherd in faith. He calls today. Our shepherd is with us today. He is so near to us that he will feed us by hand. He will feed us with the bread of life. He himself will give us the gifts of death and resurrection as we will eat and drink his body and his blood. As the Lord has prepared a feast for us in the presence of our enemies, we will join again today in having our sins forgiven. And when that forgiveness is given to the sheep, the wolf flies. He cannot win. He's already lost. The shepherd overcomes him and drives him away and the flock is safe and cared for sin will not destroy you death will have no victory over you because jesus is here and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and he cares for his sheep and he takes it up for them again so that they might live with him forever in the name of jesus amen now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith, the life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.